We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the Steamcocks podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, July the 12th, 2021. Today's show, folks, as the podcast returns, we do so in grand fashion. as It's officially prediction season, and that's what we're spending all week this week doing. Today, part one, I give my official game-by-game predictions for the Gamecocks 2021 football season. Guys, we'll start with a full schedule breakdown of the upcoming fall. Guys, I'll break down the games in different categories, wins, toss-ups, and losses. Also, my most important three-game stretch of the season, most likely big upset, most important game of the year as well, of course, as my game-by-game predictions as I break down each and every single game and lock in my score predictions for the first six games of the Shane Beamer era, guys. Also, of course, talking Shane Beamer, the recruiting momentum unreal will break all that down, all the latest commitments, as well as a mystery welcome home tweet from Shane Beamer yesterday afternoon, who that might be and why it could be. A game-changing piece, the 2022 recruiting class. Also, guys, we got your listener questions and a fantastic conversation. Friend of the show and one of the best in the business to do it, Phil Steele joins me to break down everything with South Carolina, the SEC, Shane Beamer, and, of course, the upcoming 2021 college football season. Guys, we've got a packed show here on a Monday. Sit back, relax, enjoy. It's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention on the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crates and packaging professional items and cleaning services as well. They were founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media, at Upstate Movers Group, or of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
Ladies and gents, boys and girls, I truly, sincerely hope that you have enjoyed your summer to this point. Because as of today, as of this week, the business, the content, the podcasts, the Daily Crow, everything that we do is hitting freaking turbo drive. We are putting the pedal to the metal, rocking and rolling with this thing, going balls to the wall. Buckle your freaking chin straps. Hold on to your butts, ladies and gents, because we are in talking season. And it's officially prediction season. Folks, as you can tell, I am fired up to be back here on the airwaves here on this Monday. I missed each and every single one of you miss doing the podcast. And again, thank you all so much for tuning in again. I'm fired up. I am fired up because this is really the beginning now. You know, we did our 2021 opponent preview series and broke down the teams and that was all fun and fine and dandy. But now, beginning now, here on this Monday, July 12th, as we sit officially one month away from SEC Media Days, as we sit officially 54 days away from kickoff, we are going freaking a 1,000 the next 54 days. Talking everything Gamecocks football, Shane Beamer, this football team as a whole, and locking in official predictions, which we will start today, part one on today's podcast, part two on Thursday's podcast, some fantastic guests lined up as well. And guys, this show today, I would argue these two shows this week will probably be, I would say to at least this point of the year, the biggest and baddest podcasts that we have released to this point in our year of 2021. And I am freaking excited. I'm fired up. Again, so grateful for you guys. Thank you all again so much for tuning in. Hope this finds you well, wherever you may be, whatever you may be doing, whether you're on the commute, you're in the office, you're on the job. Hey, maybe you got the day off. Maybe you're on vacation. Heck, I don't know. Whatever it is you may be doing, though. Thank you all again so much for tuning in. The first thing I want to say is this, guys. And again, I want to continue to show gratitude and thanks to you all because last week, of course, we had no podcast, but we did the Daily Crow. And of course, you guys know it's been kind of funky for me. I've been going back and forth between Columbia and home and helping out family. As many of you know, my mom had surgery on her heel, whatever. She's fine, but can't get around, obviously, with a cast on her legs. I've been going back and forth helping out because this is the time of year to do that. You know, I'm trying to help out my mom, of course, and all that good stuff. And uh, you guys have been been supportive and cool with everything and roll with the punches and continue to just rock with the content no matter what and guys I I cannot thank you enough momentum within the South Carolina football program is incredible right now momentum with the business and the Spurs up show and the content and everything that we do is also crazy and I want to start there because we've got a couple housekeeping items because a lot of stuff has happened over the past week since we talked on the podcast that I want to briefly update you guys on just in case you missed it. First things first is this. Check it out if you have not. We've added some things to the store, TSUS.store, most notably the Beamer Ball and Welcome Home Koozies. Bringing in the Shane Beamer era. Folks, if you're going to be at Willie B, even if you're not, This is the ultimate game day koozie for any South Carolina fan that is looking to kick off the Shane Beamer era in style. You can get it in Garnet. 
You can get it in black, or you can get the bundle, which is the black and the garnet, which most people are doing. So again, TSUS.store. We're finally in the koozie game, and I plan on dropping more koozies as we get closer and closer to the season, but right now those are available. Beamer Ball and Welcome Home koozies available now. Also, an initiative we rolled out on Friday, and I won't spend the next 30 minutes or so talking about it because I've talked about it ad nauseum on the Daily Crow and on social media, but the Big Cock Club is officially up and running. It's live to those who have already joined, to those who have already showed support and joined and jumped on the club, jumped on the bandwagon. Guys, thank you all so much for the love and support. The support has been overwhelming, to say the least. The discard, the, the, excuse me, the Discord is popping off. It's rolling. It's going crazy. We're having fantastic chatter, fantastic banter in there, and everything else is going on 100 right now. So, again, if you have any questions about that, if you want to join that, it's all over social media. It's run through Patreon, Big Cock Club, an exclusive Gamecocks community for fans of the Spurs Up show, the Daily Crow, and everything it is that we do. Again, if you have any questions, please let me know. But Big Cock Club is officially live. Also, really, really big business update, really big content update. As starting this week, literally starting Wednesday of this week, TSUS, we will be live on location at 10 Roof in the Vista, Downtown Columbia, 10 roof in the Vista off Senate Street each and every single Wednesday. Five to seven will be live. We're planning on streaming that live as well. But also, of course, if you're in the city, come on out. Take in some cold beverages, some really good food. Hey, and we're going to be shooting the shit talking Gamecocks. There's going to be, you know, guests that roll through, but we're going to take questions. Going to be kind of similar to the Daily Crow, but a lot of people ask me, you know, Chris, is this going to be like the Daily Crow? What is this going to be like? You know what the best part about this is, man? I've talked to the GM about this, and he totally agrees with me. The best part about this is it's going to be something that takes a life of its own and is going to evolve. Hey, we're all going to learn as we go, but it's going to be something really, really fun, really, really cool. Appreciate it. I'm, I'm so thankful, so grateful for those fine folks. Shout out my guy, Corey Spigner, the GM over there, for asking me to come out, having us out. I think it's going to be a really, really good time, and obviously the opportunity for TSUS and myself to get in the community and give back to people and go live, and especially at an establishment, like I said, at a place like Tin Roof, which is very, very well-known. Uh, very well respected and very well liked. I mean, that place is packed every single freaking weekend. Yours truly was actually in there this past weekend talking to my guy, Corey. So live each and every single Wednesday from 10 Roof, 5 to 7. That starts this week. Very exciting. Again, if you're not in Columbia, we are planning on streaming that on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. The same exact way you watch the Daily Crow. We are going to stream live on location at 10 Roof each and every single Wednesday, 5 to 7. So, guys, again, hey, we're adding content. The content's just going to keep coming at you. Last thing, really quickly, speaking of content and adding content, the Dynasty stream. The Dynasty stream begins this week, begins tomorrow night. I know you're like, Chris, wait, weren't you already doing the Dynasty streams? Well, yes and no, though. The Dynasty stream, we are starting tomorrow night. I will be playing the Gamecocks 2021 football season, the actual schedule. I'll be playing it in dynasty mode on Heisman. So it's a little bit different. We actually have the actual schedule, the 2021 schedule in 
the dynasty setup. Shout out to the dudes over at College Football Revamp. They are freaking legends. They are freaking wizards with that stuff. So we've got the actual 2021 schedule set up, and I will be playing the season on Heisman, trying my hand at it, seeing how good of a season I can have in the digital version of Shane Beamer's first season in Columbia. So again, you guys are probably seeing that already on the docket, on the schedule, all that good stuff. Again, that'll be on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. You guys can find that. So again, a lot going on. I want to make sure you guys were in the loop. I know I'm rambling right now with the housekeeping items, and we're going to get to the meat and potatoes of this show, but wanted to let you know, because again, a lot has happened over the last week, and the positive momentum, it, it, it's incredible. It's almost overwhelming. And again, I cannot thank you guys enough. But without, without your love and support, man, stuff like Tin Roof, stuff like launching the Big Cock Club, everything we do, nothing would be possible without each and every single one of you showing love, showing support, continue to rock with the content, rock what we do, rock with the business. I can't thank you all enough. So again, thank you all so much. Without further ado, the moment we have all been waiting for all preseason long as I begin to lock in my official game-by-game game predictions for Shane Beamer's first season as Gamecocks head coach. Before we get to the actual predictions, though, I want to talk a little bit about this schedule and the season as a whole and kind of the way I see things shaking out when it comes to things like most important three-game stretch, big upsets, important games, and then we'll get into the game-by-game game predictions. But, of course, the Shane Beamer era begins in Columbia. And something that I like to do, guys, if you've been listening to the show for a little bit now, this is the third straight year that we have done this game-by-game game season prediction show, if you will, this format, if you will. And I do it in two parts, and the reason I do this is because, you know, guys, if I try to do the entire season in one show, I feel like that show would take like an hour and a half, and I don't think anybody wants to sit down and listen to a two-hour podcast. And I'll be honest with you, it gives me the excuse to produce more content. And who doesn't love more content? But I've been doing this the last couple of years. What I like to do, you know, the first thing I do when I see the Gamecock schedule any season is I look at it and say, okay, which games can I go ahead and chalk up? That's a W. I can just check it off. That's a W. It's a kick in no matter what, whatever, not even going to sweat it. Which games do I say, you know what? More than likely, it's an L. I feel confident in heavy black ink putting an L next to that game. And then which ones are the toss-ups? How do you break down the schedule? That's exactly what we're going to do right now. I want to break down this schedule, this 2021 schedule, in wins, toss-ups, and losses. And again, guys, like I said, the wins are games that I feel really confident in saying, you know what, I feel good, put a W next to it, in heavy black ink. The losses, same way, but flipped. And then toss-ups, of course, I think they're truly, as they say, toss-ups, 50-50 games, games that could truly swing either way. And normally, of course, it is the toss-up games that will make or break your, your season each and every single year, and I think that's going to be the case with this team as well. So let's first talk wins, and then we'll talk toss-ups, then we'll go into losses. So I have my wins listed as these, and there's four of them. Eastern Illinois week one. I think that's a no-brainer. I think that's a given. Again, I said before, guys, I think that's a name-your-score game, empty-the-bench game type of game for South Carolina. The opening of the Shane Beamer era, I almost feel bad for the Panthers because Williams-Brice Stadium is going to be rocking like you have never seen it, especially for an FCS opponent, 7 o'clock kick, kicking off the Shane Beamer era. So I've got EIU. At East Carolina, Troy, and Vanderbilt. Now, notice, 
I have three of the four Gamecocks non-conference games in the win column, right? And I know one that might shock you all, especially when you hear Phil Steele and what he has to say, but if you heard me talk about this team, a lot of you might be saying, Chris, I'm surprised you're so willing to put East Carolina in the win category. And I want to say this. As dangerous a game as I think it is, and a game that I think South Carolina has to come out and play its best football, and I'm going to talk much more about this game here in just a second, because ECU at their place, noon kickoff, playing an SEC team, it's their home opener. Of course, one of the big storylines of the 2021 season, not just for South Carolina, but for everyone, is getting full capacity back into stadiums, right? So Dowdy Ficklin Stadium is going to be rocking. It's going to be rocking when the Gamecocks travel up to Greenville. However, I look at that game, a non-conference game. It is still a game at the end of the day when you boil it down to it. South Carolina should win that football game. And I feel confident in saying, not to spoil my predictions too early, but it's a game I feel really good about them winning that football game. Troy, while they're a quality opponent, I think that one speaks for itself. And then Vanderbilt, you know what? Listen, at some point, Vandy's going to beat South Carolina. South Carolina's not going to beat Vanderbilt for the rest of the time. But it's been, what, 12, 13 straight years And this year's not going to be the year that Vanderbilt breaks that streak. With Clark Lee and, you know, a first-year head coach, they got to come to Columbia. And even last year's team, that was very bad. We all know how the 2020 season went. Even last year's team took Vanderbilt to the freaking woodshed. So I feel confident putting that one as a win as well. So, again, I've got four wins, which is kind of crazy when you think about that I have four wins, guys. The over-under total in Vegas right now is three and a half. It's three and a half. I, I, I don't, again, we could spend an entire show talking about that alone. I truly don't understand how that math works out in Vegas. But again, my wins this season, games I feel confident putting a W next to in heavy black ink, EIU at ECU, Troy, and Vanderbilt. Let's jump from wins to losses. I want to save the toss-ups for last. My losses are these, and I know some of you say, oh, Chris, you know, if this happens and that happens and this breaks and that breaks, you know, we could pull the upset. We could do, but realistically, guys, it would take a minor miracle. Like 2019, when you went to Athens and beat Georgia the way you did as a 24 and a half point underdog, that's great. And that was a magical day. And it goes to show you, hey, on any given Saturday, Anything can happen. But hear me out. You you can't bank on games like that year after year after year. And these three games, South Carolina, I think, will be at minimum two touchdown underdogs, and I would just be shocked. I would be shocked if the Gamecocks were to win any of these three games this season. My losses at Georgia, at Texas A&M, and Clemson. That first one at Georgia. Some of you will say, Chris, oh, you know, last time you went to Athens, you know, we beat them between the hedges and South Carolina, Georgia, always a competitive close game. Call me crazy. I know many of you say, Chris, you know, Georgia's going to flop. They're going to, you know, they're, they're going to they're going to disappoint yet again. You know, they're, they're always a team with preseason expectations and they never capitalize on them. This, that, well, I don't know what it is. I think Georgia's for real. I, I think Kirby Smart has finally found his quarterback. Um, they, they are just massively loaded with talent and there's just talent all over the freaking field. And that was displayed last year in Columbia when I think it was very obvious that Georgia wanted revenge for the 2019 loss between the hedges. I think early in the season, UGA is not playing for bragging rights or some rivalry thing, or 
they're playing to go to the college football playoff and win the national championship. That, that is Georgia's goal this year. In what is this, like sixth or seventh, whatever, whatever year this is for Kirby Smart, the goal is to win the national title for them, right? They are on a mission this season. I feel confident chalking that one up as a loss. Night game between the hedges. Going to be very, very tough for South. And again, Shane Beamer's SEC opener in Athens. My second loss at AM again, I, I feel like that one is just self-explanatory. Guys, until the Gamecocks beat Texas A&M, I don't know that it's even possible. Obviously, again, a team you've never beaten in your entire history, and you have to go to College Station, and Texas A&M, oh, by the way, is going to be really, really, really good this year. I think, Al- or, excuse me, Texas A&M will challenge Alabama for the SEC West crown. I do, I do not think they will beat Alabama, but I think they will challenge Alabama for it. A&M is going to be very good. They're going to be a top 10 team all season long. That one's self-explanatory in my mind. And then Clemson. Yes, I think the Gamecocks are going to progressively get better this season from week to week. And I think that's something that, you know, Shane Beamer and this new coaching staff, we all hope and believe and think they are going to bring back to Columbia is seeing a football team that gets better as the season progresses. But guys, hear me out. And it pains me in my heart of hearts. It pains me to say this. South Carolina is still not even remotely close to Clemson in talent. They're not. They're not. And so, you know, could some things happen? Could, 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 you know, could madness break out and South going to pull one of the greatest upsets ever in the history of the rivalry and get the win at Willie B? Maybe so. But again, like I said, you cannot bank on that type of game year to year. And, you know, the only way to solve the problem that is your recent struggles in the South kind of Clemson rivalry is to recruit. It's to get big-time athletes. It's to do exactly what Clemson has done for the last six, seven, eight years under Dabo Sweeney. So, again, as much as it pains us to say, I think we'd all agree, if you really sat down and thought about it, the Gamecocks are nowhere near the level that Clemson is right now. As much as that pains me to say, that's the truth. So, again, my three losses, I feel confident writing an L in heavy black ink at Georgia, at Texas A&M, and Clemson at home, which takes us to the toss-ups. And this, like what feels like every other South Carolina football season, this is where the season will be made right here, right here. My toss-ups are as follows. Kentucky at home, at Tennessee, Florida at home, at Missouri, and Auburn at home. Let's start with Kentucky. Week Week number four, Kentucky in Columbia. Need I say more? The Cats have won six or seven against you. And, guys, I'm going to break down the game more in its entirety here in just a second. But that is one South Carolina fans, unfortunately, you cannot take lightly anymore. That has turned into a game that has been a very, very sore, much a sore spot for Gamecocks football. And one, you've got to find a way to turn the tide. At Tennessee, listen, I know Tennessee's a dumpster fire. I totally get it. But Knoxville. In Neyland Stadium, I'm going to be making my first trip ever there, by the way. Cannot wait for it. Neyland Stadium has been a house of horrors for South Carolina football. I don't feel confident listing that one as a no-doubt kick-in win. I think that's a toss-up. Now, the one that I actually had a last-second change of heart on was Florida. I'll be honest with you guys. Right before I went live, I had Florida listed as a loss. And I was like, you know what? The more I look at that game, and I know the Gators have beaten you three straight years, but the more that you look at that game 
and the way it sets up on the schedule and how it kind of lines up for you and how close you've actually played Florida the last couple of years, I think it's fair. And how much Florida loses, too. I think it's fair to look at that matchup and say, you know what? That's also a toss-up game. Granted, if South kind of won, would it be an upset? Would it be considered an upset? Yes, it would. But I don't look at the Florida game and say, oh, that's just a no-doubt L. That, that, oh, oh, South Carolina, no, it would take a minor miracle for them to win the football game like when I taught Georgia, A&M, or Clemson. I don't see that with the Gators. So that's why I put it into a toss-up. Having that game in Willie B, you never know. Crazy things, crazier things have happened. At Missouri, again, I think this one's pretty self-explanatory. Eli Drinkwitz, what he's building in Como. I know we hate to give credit and we hate to acknowledge it, but Drinkwitz is doing a pretty good job. And guess what, guys? He has the Gamecocks number. He's beaten in the last two times he's played them, once with App State and once with Mizzou. So that game's got to be considered a toss-up. And then, of course, the matchup late in the season, the week before the annual rivalry matchup, the Gamecocks game against the Auburn Tigers. No doubt I think this is a toss-up, going to be one of the most intriguing matchups of the entire season Certainly one, of course, with the Mike Bobo storyline, and they also have a first-year head coach, and the game is back at Williams-Brice Stadium, a matchup of two of the best running backs in all of college football in Tank Bigsby for the Tigers and, of course, Kevin Harris for the Gamecocks. A really intriguing game, one that I certainly believe belongs in that toss-up category for South Carolina. So, again, real quick, going back over it, my wins for South Carolina, EIU at ECU, Troy and Vandy, my losses, at Georgia, A&M, and Clemson, and my toss-ups, Kentucky, at Tennessee, Florida, at Mizzou, and Auburn. And, of course, as is true with what feels like every other South Carolina football season, that toss-up category. That's the one that'll make or break your year, man, that toss-up. Can you go three and two? Can you go four and one, God forbid? But can you find a way to have a winning record? Even go two and three. Get yourself to that six-win mark because, of course, we've been talking all preseason long. I think we all agree. The first-year expectations for Shane Beamer get to a bowl game. That will show the progress you want to see. That will be a success in year one, and that will change recruiting. As Perry Orth said on the airwaves just a couple of weeks ago, especially if you can go to a bowl game and win said bowl game. All right, let's move into most important three-game stretch of the 2021 season, right? And when you look at a schedule, that there are moments in a season that really define you. They define you as a football team. They define the type of season you're going to have. There are certain three-game stretches you can identify and say, you know what? You got to come out of that one with a winning record. You got to be two and one or better. And the one that I look at, my most important three-game stretch of the season. Hey, guys, today we are breaking down the first half of the Gamecocks 2021 football season, right? And I think we'd all agree, you have got to take advantage of the front half of this schedule. With all due respect to the teams you play in the first six weeks of the year, the schedule gets much, much tougher in that second half. So when I look at this season and I look at this schedule and I look at the most important three-game stretch, it's very easy to identify. It comes in weeks two, three, and four at East Carolina, at Georgia, and Kentucky at home. That, to me, no doubt, is the most important three-game stretch of the season. You've got a game, hey, the first ever road game under Shane Beamer, 
tricky game. Noon kick at Dowdy Ficklin. Like I said before, the Pirates will be ready for you. Hey, a series that has been really, really, really close. ECU feels like they should have beaten the Gamecocks the last couple of times they played them. So you got that one, a tricky game. The following week at Georgia, where, hey, we're going to learn a lot about this football team in Athens. We're going to really know what South can have. Hey, how far away are you right now? How, how far are you from maybe you've got something and maybe you can compete or are you just completely on a different level and it's like, oh, my goodness, like we're just going to have to scratch and claw just to even fight for six wins this season. So at Georgia, you will learn a lot. And then, of course, that Kentucky game. There's many of you out there that have claimed Kentucky is the most important game of the 2021 football season. And I don't blame you. I really don't blame you. I've talked about that Kentucky game ad nauseum. I've talked about that game a lot. We're going to do more so in just a second. But those three games, I think when you look at those three games, guys, if you're going to have a successful 2021 season, if you can go two and one, I think you damn near guarantee yourself you're going to most likely be a bowl football team at the end of the year. You're going to hit that six-win mark. Go one and two, things are a little dicey, right? I think you can still get there, but things obviously get tougher. And, of course, you can't go 0-3. I mean, that's a no-brainer. But at ECU, at Georgia, and Kentucky, hey, it gives you a little taste of all three that I just mentioned earlier, a win, a toss-up, and a loss. ECU, I think, a win. At Georgia, a loss. Kentucky, a toss-up. How do you come out of that three-game stretch? Because, again, you've got to find a way to take advantage of the front half of this schedule because the second half is a true gauntlet. I mean, it, it, is, it is as tough a second half of the season as probably anybody in the SEC or in college football has to face this year. So, again, my most important three-game stretch at East Carolina, at Georgia, Kentucky at home. Let's talk most likely big upset of the 2021 football season. And if you've been paying attention to my content at all this preseason, you already know the answer to this one. You already know. Because, you know, there are a couple of games you could kind of pick here and there and say, oh, well, if things happen here and things happen there and this and that. And I guess if you're somebody like Mark Ryan, hey, my good buddy Mark, whatever. The reason I like Mark is he has bold opinions and he sticks behind him. But unless you're Mark Ryan and you think winning at Tennessee would be a big upset, which, you know, I, I, I hear you with the FPI and what the percentages say. But, guys, I have two eyes and a functioning brain that tells me that Tennessee football is a freaking dumpster fire. So if South Carolina beats Tennessee, it will not be some major upset. Let's just go ahead and put that out there. But the game, no doubt that you look at this schedule kind of the way that I looked at Auburn last year. When I said going in that Auburn game, guys, the week of that game, I said, you know what? There's something about this. Number one, I don't think Auburn are world beaters. And the way it's set up on the schedule, it felt like one of those games where the stars sort of align. And I think the game that could serve as that game in Shane Beamer's first season, the one that maybe, hey, maybe you can get that signature win. Maybe you can hang your hat on this one. It's the game, the matchup, November the 6th, against the Florida Gators. When they come to town, get this, guys. This is how it sets up on the schedule for South Carolina. The week prior to this game, the week of October the 30th, Florida will take on the University of Georgia in their annual rivalry matchup, right? Florida's already got to play Alabama, by the way, in week three. So they'll be good and beat up. Also, they play LSU October the 16th. Then have a bye, then have Georgia. 
Meanwhile, the Gamecocks will have a bye week October the 30th. So they will have two weeks to get rested and ready for a Florida team that I think is going to be searching for a lot of answers this year. You know, some are still high on UF, but realistically, they lost a lot of production. I mean, a lot. They lost some legendary, some legendary pieces from that team a year ago. And you don't just recover from that. Like, you saw LSU last year, right? When you lose generational-type talent, normally there's an adjustment period. You, you don't just, oh, not everybody's Alabama, right? Not, not everybody can just reload and plug the next guy in and go win a national title again. So I wonder how much of a drop-off there will be for UF. But when you look at this schedule, you look at this season, and you're talking big upsets, that Florida game, November the 6th, the way it sets up on the schedule, I think it really serves as the game for South Carolina and Shane Beamer. You know what? This could be the one. And, hey, Florida the next week, I believe, let's see, Florida has to play. Florida has to play. Well, they play Samford. Okay. South Carolina has at Missouri. So I was thinking maybe that Florida will be looking past the Gamecocks, but I don't think they'll be looking past the Gamecocks for the Samford matchup. But either way, UF coming off the Georgia game, they'll be beat up, especially if that's a really emotional game and it's a draining game. Hey, does a game like that beat the Gators twice? And can South Carolina take advantage of whatever damage Georgia probably does to Florida? And at home, again, you've been close in that one. It's been a really back-and-forth series. And again, you've lost three in a row, but man, you, you look at the games you lost, you feel like, you should have won at least one of them, if not all three. I mean, heck, 2018, you gave the freaking game away. You're up 17 points. You gave the game away. 2019, I don't even want to talk about the referees. And then 2020 last year, if not for some of the most boneheaded coaching clock management in the history of college football, you might have actually had a chance to win that game. So I think we all agree. I think this one's a no-brainer. The most likely Big upset for South Ghana in this 2021 football season. It is that matchup against the Florida Gators coming off the bye week when you take on UF on November the 6th at williams Bryce Stadium. All right, let's talk most important game of the 2021 football season. I know this is one that you guys are going to debate me on. I, I know this is one that you are going to disagree with because everyone, most everyone is saying Kentucky, 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 Kentucky. And listen, I totally understand that pick. I really do. I really understand that Kentucky pick. I understand the importance of that game at home. And I've talked about it before, guys. Hey, there aren't many other outlets, if any at all, they're going to say what I'm about to say to you in the sense of why that one's important. Because you know what? As great as the honeymoon phase has been, as great as the positive momentum is right now, and, and, and I mean, dude, things are insanely great. I, and I said this on social media yesterday. What Shane Beamer has done to this point, I mean, this program was in shambles seven months ago. The way he's just completely flipped the energy and he's completely flipped the momentum, I, it's insane. We need to recognize how great of a job they've done at this point. But here's the unfortunate reality. That week four matchup against Kentucky, you know why it's important? Because if you lose, if you lose that game, maybe they won't be vocal about it, but there's going to be a portion of the fan base that says to themselves, shit, here we go again. Can't even beat Kentucky. Who did we hire as our head coach? And, I, hey, fair or unfair, I agree with you. I think that'd be the wrong take. I think that'd be the wrong approach to have. But that's going to happen. So I understand why fans will look at that Kentucky game and say, man, that's, that's a must win. That's the most important game. It's going to set the tone for our season. But when I look at this schedule and I look at this season as a whole, and again, the goal is to get to six and six. 
The goal is to get to a bowl game in Shane Beamer's first year. Take off the garnet glasses and realistically look at the schedule and look at this football team and look at the issues you have and look at just, again, seven months ago, you were in complete shambles. If you can get to six and six or better in year one of Shane Beamer, that's a success, right? Would any of us disagree that that is a success in Shane Beamer's first season? I certainly do not think so. And so my most important game of the 2021 season is one, I think you must win to get to six wins. Six wins are better. You must win this football game. You can lose to Kentucky. You can lose to Tennessee. Heck, you can lose to Mizzou. You can lose to Florida. You can lose to Auburn. Obviously, you can't lose to them all, but you can lose any of those games I mentioned and still get to six and six or better. You can do it. It might be tougher, but you can do it. However, Week two in Greenville, North Carolina, against the East Carolina Pirates, you cannot lose to ECU in week two and get to six wins. You absolutely cannot do it. And I know some of you will scoff and say, oh, Chris, we're so much better than ECU. Why would you ever pick ECU as the the most important game? What does that say about our program? Hey, fair enough. I know that doesn't feel good. Maybe that doesn't feel good to you that ECU is the most important game in my mind. But you know what? That's where the program is. Guess what? The last time the Gamecocks played a team that wasn't in the Power Five, guys, they lost. Appalachian State at home. So don't tell me that we're too good to be worried or, or, or to have an eye on that ECU game. We're not. Until we prove otherwise, we're not. But like I mentioned, any of these toss-up games, Kentucky, Tennessee, Florida, Mizzou, Auburn, you can lose any of those and still get to 6-6. Six and six. You cannot lose to ECU and get to that six win or better mark. You simply can't do it. You have to go three and one or better in the non-conference to get to that six win mark. And I don't want to sit here and say, oh my God, if you get upset by East Carolina, you know, I went on an East Carolina show last week. You know, I, I don't want to say that if you lose to East Carolina, oh, your season's just over, right? But like I mentioned earlier, the front half of your schedule sets up really, really well. And I know people will say, oh, Chris, you're going to get better as a football team. And, you know, you're going to get better week to week. And you'll be, be I agree with you. You're going to be a much better football team in week 10 than you are in week one. I believe that progression will be there. But here's what's unfortunate. The schedule gets tougher as you go throughout the year. So you might be a lot better of a football team week nine or 10. But guess what, guys? I don't think that's going to show in College Station. That might not show against Florida. That's probably not going to show against Clemson. So you better take advantage early on in the season. And again, I've got the ECU game listed as a win. And I'm going to talk about more in just a second. But that is one. Do not take it lightly. Do not think you can, oh, they're just ECU. We're big, bad South Carolina and the SEC. You know, it don't even matter. We're just going to go out and blow them out. I'm telling you right now, that to me, that's the game. Just because you win the ECU game, does not mean you're going to go win seven games and have a successful year. But if you lose it, if you lose it, all the hopes and dreams and aspirations and, hey, all the positive momentum and all the good feelings we've had all preseason long, you lose that one in Greenville, that's gone. That vanishes. Because then you got Georgia the next week. And, you're you know, you lose to ECU, you'll probably get your teeth kicked in the following week. So, You better not mess around and lose that one. You better not take the Pirates lightly. I don't think Gamecock fans are. I think you'd be foolish to do so. But to me, when I look at this team and I look at this schedule and I look at this season, again, you can get away with losing to Kentucky, Mizzou, Tennessee, Auburn, blah, 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 whatever. You cannot get away with losing to ECU if you have goals and dreams and aspirations of making a bowl game or even doing better in Shane Beamer's first year 
in Columbia. All right, with that being said, guys, the moment you've been waiting for, let's get into the official game-by-game predictions for the first half, the first six games of the Gamecocks 2021 football season. And, of course, guys, it all gets going under the lights at Willie B. Thank the football gods that we somehow got the 7 o'clock kickoff when the Eastern Illinois Panthers come to town to take on Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks at Williams-Brice Stadium. I'll tell you this, guys. You really, as you begin a new era, Shane Beamer's first ever game, as South Carolina head football coach. And Willie B, I think we all agree, is going to be shaking that night. It's going to be incredible. I mean, it's going to be a legitimately incredible atmosphere for college football. I mean, I don't remember a preseason, and maybe this is just recency bias, but I genuinely, it's hard for me to think back and remember a preseason that had as many good vibes and positivity and optimism and momentum as this one has right now. For Salcon. And again, that's a testament to what Shane Beamer, his coaching staff, everyone in that building. It's a testament to what they've done and what they built at this point. So, long story short, you know, the season opener, September the 4th, under the lights at Willie B. Like I said, I almost feel kind of bad for EIU, almost an FCS opponent. I, I think, long story short, guys, this is going to be a really, really, really fun night for Salcon football. And it's the one, I'll be honest, it's the one game this season. Enjoy it, Gamecock fans. Enjoy it. Because it's the one game this season that I think you can either show up to the stadium or turn on the TV and say, you know what? I know without a shadow of a doubt my team's going to win tonight. No question. There's no question we are going to win tonight. I don't know there's a game on the schedule, maybe Vanderbilt, that you can really just wake up that Saturday morning and say, you know what? There is 0% chance my team is going to lose today. And, hey, hear me out. Anything's possible, but no, it's not. It'll be a fun night. This is a name-your-score game for South Carolina. This is an empty-your-bench game for the Gamecocks, and I think they'll do that. I think you'll see Luke Doty play. I think you'll see probably three quarterbacks in this one, of course. Kevin Harris, Marshawn Lloyd, all the running backs. What we all would love to see offensively, right, is to get some receivers going in. Are you really going to learn anything from a Game 1 victory over EIU? Are you really going to be able to draw any conclusions from a blowout win over the Panthers, not necessarily, but you know what you can do? You can start to instill some confidence, some belief, some offensive momentum. Maybe you can find a guy or two that say, you know what? This is a dude now we can depend on going into weeks two, three, four, five, and then for the rest of the season. Defensively, I think you'll see South Carolina's defense dominate, especially that front seven, that defensive line. A guy like J.J. Nigbari, I think he'll have a field day. Jordan Strawn, I think, look for him. The sack master from Georgia State, I think he has a big game. I think, long story short, guys, like I said, it's going to be a really, really fun night at the yard for South Carolina. Like I said, when you have a brand-new head coach and you're beginning a brand-new era, this is like the perfect game to open up a new era. You know, South Carolina's opened up before with NC State, North Carolina. I'm like, thank God we finally have like a cupcake opener to get the Shane Beamer era started on a high note. So with that being said, I've got South kind of winning this football game. Again, I think it's a name your score game, blowout fashion. Give me Gamecocks 41, Eastern Illinois 
seven. I don't think there's even a spread out on this yet. I don't even know if there will be a spread because it's uh, it's Power 5 against FCS. I don't know if there will be. Whatever it is, though, I think take the game, Kai. I think Shane Beamer will want to keep the positive momentum going. I think he'll make it a point to have excitement in the building, excitement in the stadium, and keep the excitement around Columbia. So, again, I think the Gamecocks, they win their season opener, they go to 1-0, and they do it in blowout fashion. Give me South kind of 41, Eastern Illinois 7, which takes us in week two, as I mentioned previously, to a pivotal matchup in Greenville, North Carolina. As the Gamecocks travel to ECU to take on the East Carolina Pirates. Now, here's the big matchup in this football game. Like I said, I went on the Sports Objective, which is an ECU digital show podcast, if you will. Shout out to those guys, the Sports Objective. I think we're going to do something actually on site because I'll be making the trip to Greenville this year. I think we've got something really fun planned for that show and some stuff we're doing at the tailgate. Either way, though. We talked on that show, and I talked before a few weeks ago when I broke down ECU. Here's the matchup you got to look for in this one. South Carolina's commitment to the running game. And one of the reasons, guys, by the way, to backtrack, that I, I didn't give you guys, like, top storylines for the season and all that, because over the next week or two, we are going to break down the actual units, offense, defense, special teams, all that good stuff. And that's when we'll talk about top storylines and get to the nitty-gritty nitty of these position units and stuff like that. But, of course, we all know running the football is going to be the primary focus of South kind of this season, especially when you have an experienced quarterback and you got guys like Kevin Harris and Marshawn Lloyd, Zaquandre White, Rashad Amos, all of them guys toting the rock. Here's a key stat for you. ECU last year defensively gave up 201 yards per game on the ground. And think about it. They gave up 201 yards per game on the ground playing the schedule they play, right? So you start talking about guys like Harris and Lloyd. I mean, I think the, 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 the sky's the limit for how much they want to rush. It's kind of like a name your yardage type of game for those two guys. South kind of will have to commit to the running game, use the running game early and often, work some play action off that, of course. East Carolina, when you have a quarterback, you have a chance, and Holt Naylor's gives the Pirates a chance. They bring back basically all their skill guys. We're talking about a team that returns 20 of 22 starters. 20 of 22 starters in this 2021 football season. With that being said, like I told you guys, it's the most important game in my mind of the 2021 football season. It's a game you have to win. All of your hopes and dreams and aspirations of this season, I think, many of them hang in the balance of that game. While I think ECU, again, will pose a threat, I think ECU will put all the stops. I mean, they're going to be fired up. Again, home opener, SEC opponent. I think the Gamecocks will do just enough. I, I have all preseason long, I've looked at this one and said, you know what? This is a one-score ball game. This is a one-score ball game in my mind. I think that it's going to be a very competitive back-and-forth game. Look at the history of this series, by the way, guys, if you, if you can. I mean, 2012, the lone exception, but these have been battles between South Carolina and East Carolina. And this is a Gamecocks football team that going into week two, like I said, are you really going to learn anything from week one against EIU? I think there's still going to be question marks all over the field, all over this roster for Shane Beamer's squad. 
But I do think the Gamecocks go into Greenville. I think they get the victory again. I think the energy, the vibe, everything around Shane Beamer, what he's building, I think they will carry that to Greenville. At the end of the day, guys, I do think South Carolina, by the way, is a more talented team than ECU. Make no mistake. I don't want it to come off as I'm as I think ECU is a more talented team than this. I don't think so. And I think South Carolina should be able to control the line of scrimmage. I think Kevin Harris, Marshawn Lloyd should be able to have really, really big days. And I think that will lead South Carolina. They can ride the running game, and I think they will. That will lead the Gamecocks to a victory on the road to get to 2-0. Give me South Carolina 28, East Carolina 24. I, I really think this is going to be a really, really good ball game, competitive back and forth. I think the pass rush of South Carolina will have to be the difference maker defensively because, again, hey, this might be a game where your secondary gets exposed a little bit. I know we like Prunty. I know we like Marcellus Dial. I know we like Cam Smith, Jalen Dickerson, RJ Roger. All, but, guys, secondary is still a question mark. It, it is. It's a question mark. We're going to talk about that more probably next week when we talk defense, but it's a question mark. But I think your pass rush, they can do enough. You can control the line of scrimmage. The line of scrimmage will be the difference maker in this one. And I think South Carolina will be a little too much for the Pirates on the line of scrimmage. Give me South Carolina 24, excuse me, South Carolina 28, East Carolina 24, which would move the Gamecocks to 2-0. and A successful start for the Shane Beamer era, and it would take you to Athens, Georgia. Now, 2-0? and we're buzzing, right? We're excited. We're fired up all of a sudden. Oh, man, maybe the Gamecocks, maybe they can pull the upset. And Georgia has to open the season. Clemson and UAB. So Georgia could be riding extremely high. They could be feeling eh about the start of the year. Either way, though, I've got the Gamecocks 2-0, and rolling into Athens, feeling really good. And I've been saying it all preseason, guys, behind closed doors, and I will say it right here publicly on these airwaves. You know, everything has been positive this preseason, all the momentum and the honeymoon phase. But at some point, right, you got to play football. At some point, you got to buckle up the chin straps. And at some point, guys, inevitably, you're going to hit adversity. And this will be the first adversity that South kind of faces in the Shane Beamer era because I think Georgia is going to kick your teeth in. I, I just flat out do. You don't like hearing it. I don't like saying it. But I think Georgia, I'm a believer in Georgia. I think they're loaded at every – they don't have a weakness, guys. Georgia doesn't have a weakness. They're loaded at every single position. Kirby Smart has finally found his quarterback in JT Daniels. Your secondary will get exposed. I think maybe South Carolina could hang early. But I think the secondary gets exposed. I think offensively, it's going to be really, really tough, especially with the question marks on the outside. You know, if you get one-dimensional, and Georgia's a team that's good enough defensively to make you one-dimensional. If they can do that, it's going to be really, really hard for South going to move the football. Bottom line is this, guys. Just like I said when I was talking Clemson, the same stands for Georgia. The Gamecocks are just not on this level yet when it comes to talent. And that's okay. That's not a knock on Shane Beamer or this program, but it's just the reality right now. It's the reality right now. It is what it is. So I've got the Georgia Bulldogs. Again, I, 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 think it's a, I think it's a long night. I think it's a rough night for you. I think you'll learn some things about your football team, though. And again, it's all about bouncing back from adversity. I've got Georgia beating South Carolina. Give me Dogs 38, South Carolina 17. Again, 
It's going to happen. You're going to hit adversity, guys. You're not going to win every football game you play. I hate to spoil it for you. If you thought I was going to pick us to go 12-0, I guess you can cut off the podcast right now, delete it, whatever, leave me a bad review. I don't know. But realistically, this is an extremely tall task for South Carolina. It's one of the reasons I had this game as one of my losses I picked. I, I just I think it would take uh, an upset of astronomical proportions, and you cannot bank on that going season to season. So, again, I think Georgia too tough. Give me dogs 38, South Carolina 17. So now you're two and one after three weeks, and it brings you to a pivotal, pivotal matchup against the Kentucky Wildcats. Oh, boy. This is where I'm going to piss some people off, okay? This is where I'm going to piss some people off. I already know. So just bear with me for a little bit. I'll go ahead and put it out there. I've got Kentucky beating you 27 to 23 at your house. Let me explain why I am taking the Wildcats to win this football game. Because I would agree with all of you, most likely. I don't think Kentucky's a better football program than South Carolina. I don't think Kentucky recruits better than South Carolina does, even with the Cats winning six of seven. I don't think Kentucky recruits better than you. Now, Kentucky has found a recipe that works, but I don't think they're a better football program necessarily. I don't think they're like vastly more talented than you. And again, it's one of those games. It's why I put it in the toss-up category. But the one issue or the one thing that Gamecock fans, we cannot do, even to this day, we cannot give Kentucky credit. Kentucky has smacked South Carolina six of the last seven years, guys. Six of the last seven, Kentucky has smacked the Gamecocks. And still, people will look at this 2021 schedule and say, oh, Kentucky, chalk it up, dub. That's it. No rhyme, no reason. Chalk it up, W, they're Kentucky. The stigma of Kentucky is still there, and it eats up UK fans to this day. But I guess what? They're going to put on the shoulder pads, they're going to strap up the chin straps, and they're going to play football for 60 minutes. And realistically, you know, I've been thinking about this game a lot this preseason, a lot. And the reason I'm picking Kentucky to win this game, guys, is this. Hear me out. There's no reason South Carolina should win this football game. Let me say that again. There is no reason South Carolina should win this football game. And let me explain. You look at this Kentucky team. Solid team coming back, by the way. They, they know their identity, by the way. They are hard-nosed. They want to run the football. They play really, really tough defense. Look at the defensive numbers for Kentucky last year, guys. People just forget how good Kentucky was defensively, right? I know they have to replace their quarterback, but I think many of us would agree they're upgrading at that position, especially if Joey Gatewood, if he, I think he's probably going to be the starter. Either way, Terry Wilson could not throw the ball to save his life. And they've got a great running game with Chris Rodriguez. They've got a really, really good running game. We know the identity of Kentucky football. We've seen it time and time again, the way they've beaten the Gamecocks in the trenches, bullying you at the line of scrimmage. But realistically, there's no reason South Carolina should win this football game. Mark Stoops, a ninth-year head coach, right? And I used to say Mark Stoops is everything that the previous head coach at South Carolina was not. In the sense of Mark Stoops, you know what? They don't ever out-recruit South Carolina in the rankings. 
but they go out and they find their guys that fit their culture, their system, their scheme, that believe in what they're doing. And guess what they do, guys? They develop them, and they get the absolute most out of them. I think this will be a really tough, hard-fought game, hard-nosed game, back and forth. Again, one in the trenches. I think blows will be exchanged. Special teams could make a difference here. But at the end of the day, guys, we got to start giving Kentucky some credit. Unfortunately, we have to. Until South Carolina gets back to a point of beating the Cats year after year after year, the reality is this. You've lost six or seven to them. You've lost six or seven. And here's the other reason, guys. I'll tell you this. Here's the other reason. Because you take a look at these first six games. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But I've seen people saying, oh, man, South Carolina could be five and one at the halfway point. They could be six and one through seven games. And I hear you, certainly, best case scenario, that's possible. But we all need to keep perspective and keep in mind, we are talking about a Gamecocks football team on the field with the players you have. We're talking about a Gamecocks football team that has won a combined six games the last two seasons. So there are real issues on this roster in terms of depth, in terms of question marks, in terms of everything else. Kentucky doesn't have nearly the amount of question marks you have. And guess what, guys? At this point, Mark Stoops, he owns South Carolina. He owns South Carolina. So, again, I think the adversity will continue. Certainly, guys, again, this is a toss-up. Would it shock me if the Gamecocks won? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I think it's a massively important game. But right now, looking at it in the preseason, like I said, guys, there's really no reason to pick South Carolina. There's really no reason South Carolina should win the football game. Think if the roles are reversed. If we had a ninth-year head coach, we had established our culture. We had built our program, and we were taking on a team with a first-year head coach. We would think the same thing. We'd say there's no reason our ninth-year head coach should be losing to that first-year head coach. Bottom line, even if it's on the road, whatever it might be, no excuse for it. And I also think Kentucky is a good football team. And South Carolina, for whatever reason, has just struggled against the Cats of late. And I think it'll be a game that hurts. I think it'll be a game that stings. It stings for me to make this prediction. But I got Kentucky beating South Carolina. Give me the Cats 27, South Carolina 23. Now, if you're about to hit the pause button, if you're about to delete the podcast, if you're throwing your phone across the room, Bear with me, because I think it will get better. Where there's adversity, there's opportunities to respond. Now you've got a Gamecocks football team that is two and two. Oh, snap. Lost two in a row. Thankfully, you do get some relief as the Troy Trojans come to town the following week. Now, like I said, hey, guess what? The last time the Gamecocks played a Sunbelt team at home, guess what happened? They lost to Appalachian State. And I know this is a totally different program, but still. We are not in any position to take any game lightly at this point. However, with that being said, again, I think as long as South Carolina approaches this one the right way, as long as they respond to adversity the right way, the Gamecocks will win this football game. They're far more talented than a Sun Belt football team. And I think that's what will happen. I think you will see a South Carolina football team respond correctly. Hey, Troy's going to give you a battle early, I think. But I think the Gamecocks will pull away. And I think you start to see, or you're going to continue to see in this one, I should say, the running game is really going to establish itself as the strength of this team, the strength of this offense, and really carry this football team when it needs it most. Give me South Carolina 35, Troy 17. 
And you'll notice, I actually think South kind of offensively isn't going to be terrible this year. Like, I think you're going to be much improved on the offensive side of the ball. And I'll talk about that more next week again when we break down offense, defense, special teams, all that good stuff. But I think you will be improved on the offensive side of the ball. So again, for that reason, and I think you'll respond to adversity the right way, I think Shane Bieber will have these guys ready to go. Give me Gamecocks 35, Troy 17, which would put you at 3-2 and two with the final of the first six games, by the way, that we were predicting. You're at 3-2 and two, heading to Knoxville, Tennessee to take on the Tennessee Volunteers. And man, I'll tell you what, South Carolina fans, we hate Tennessee. We hate hate the volunteers absolutely hate them right like there are some south Carolina fans i've seen say they hate tennessee more than clemson that to me is mind-blowing but either way carolina making the trip to rocky top in week six of the 2021 football season i'll be making my first ever trip to rocky top Tennessee program, Josh Heupel, first year, NCAA allegations, NCAA whatever, surrounding the volunteers. Program is a complete train wreck. And it's wild, man. I don't think I've ever seen a coach fall out of good graces faster than Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, because he beat South Carolina in week one last year, and I was thinking to myself, shit, Tennessee's back. You know, Jeremy Pruitt's going to be there for the next 10 years. He's building the program back. Boy, I, I, we couldn't have been more wrong on that. As, of course, now he's not even the head football coach there anymore. But a, a pivotal game, three and two. One of those swing games I talked about, guys. One of those swing games that's going to be so massively important for the outlook of the 2021 season. And, yes, South Carolina has a lot of question marks this year. Tons. Tennessee might be a team that actually has more. I've seen some people saying, oh, you know, Tennessee's talented. Tennessee's this. No doubt they have some talented football players. I'm not saying that. But, guys, when I did my opponent preview for UT, like, I had heard people say, oh, they're a dumpster fire. The roster's depleted, this, that. I did not realize just how bad off the Vols were and how bad off that roster is until I really broke them down and looked at it for myself. Woo! I mean, Josh Heupel has got his work cut out in year one, folks. Now, with that being said, guys, the thing that scares me about this one, Knoxville has been a house of horrors for Gamecocks football. Needless to say, right? I don't have to explain to you how hard it's been for South Carolina over the years to go there and win. Even when the Gamecocks were good, we have struggled there. With that being said, I think this is going to be a game. Number one, I think Beamer Ball makes its first real big felt impact in this game. And I think this is one where we're going to really see the character and the resiliency of this football team shine through. And I think this will be one of those games. I think this will be a, a character-building win for South Carolina football. Make no mistake. Like I said, Tennessee, he will scoff. Oh, they're, they're a dumpster fire. They're terrible, this, that. Well, that might be true to some degree. I'm expecting a very close, very much so back-and-forth football game. 
but I do think South Carolina will have just enough and what I think will probably be one of the best games of the 2021 football season. But I've got South Carolina coming out on top. Give me Gamecocks 31, Tennessee 28. I think a back-and-forth affair. I think it'll be a classic. I think it'll be one of the best games of the season, but I do think South Carolina will do enough. And I think Beamer Ball, hey, people have not been talking about that a lot. Not as much as you would think so when Shane Beamer gets hired as your head coach. Special teams is going to make its mark. It's going to play a part in this 2021 season. Make no mistake about that. It is going to make a difference. I think this could be one in Knoxville on the road. I think you could see Beamer Ball be the difference in this one. So again, give me South Carolina 31, Tennessee 28, which would put the Gamecocks at four and two at the halfway point. Now, again, guys, like I told you, we're doing this in two parts. Part two will drop on Thursday when I will reveal my predictions, my game-by-game predictions for the final six games of the 2021 season. You guys will know my season predictions as a whole at that point. But let's stop for a second, right? Let's stop for a second. Four and two at the halfway point with a matchup against Vanderbilt, by the way, the following week. What would be the overall mood of the fan base and everyone associated with the Gamecocks program at that point? Because while some of you are probably still pissed off that I picked South Carolina to lose to Kentucky, any reasonable, rational Gamecock fan would admit to you, guys, we would be thrilled with four and two at the halfway point. Thrilled. How could you be anything other than thrilled with four and two at the halfway point of the chamber? Guess what, guys? If you're four and two at the halfway point, you have already hit the over. The Vegas over-under, you've already hit the over through six games of the Shane Beamer era, and you are well on your way to locking down a bowl bid in 2021. So I've got Carolina four and two at the halfway point. Guys, you let me know. I'd love to hear your feedback in the comments. You guys can DM me, obviously, Twitter, Instagram. Hey, come to the Daily Crow and let's discuss it. If you're in the Big Cock Club Discord, let's talk about it there. But four and two at the halfway point. I, even with that loss to Kentucky, I think fans would take four and two. I will trade a loss to Kentucky for a four and two start. I, I would. Absolutely 110% would. I think that would be a fantastic way to start the Shane Beamer era. And uh, again, I think it would set you up very, very well for success for the rest of the way out. And your potentials of, like I said, hitting that six win mark and getting to a bowl game. So again, four and two, four and two is what I've got right now, guys, at the halfway point through six games. Thursday's show, part two, I will give my game-by-game predictions for the last six games of the Gamecocks 2021 football season. Will South Carolina hit that mark? Will I have the Gamecocks getting to, at minimum, that six-win mark and becoming bowl eligible in Shane Beamer's first year again guys would love to hear your feedback your comments your predictions where am i right where am i wrong call me an idiot whatever you want to do i love the banter i love the feedback i've got four and two what do you have for south Carolina through the first six games of the shane beamer 
era. All right, guys, like I said, part two will drop on Thursday. Let's move into some recruiting stuff. Then we got your listener questions and a great conversation as well. The recruiting momentum over the last week or so continues to build for Shane Beamer. You've gotten commitments from three-star athlete Nick Eamon-Wari, three-star defensive lineman Felix Hickson, four-star DB Emory Floyd, which, by the way, don't get me started on the whole rankings. Is he four-star? Is he three? He gets dropped, this, that. Whatever, dude. He's a really good football player. Emory Floyd, another one. And then a mystery welcome home on Sunday afternoon by Shane Beamer. Who is it? Is it the defensive back from the state of Pennsylvania? Is it Antonio Williams? Is it Keenan Nelson? Who is it? Now, Sports Talk says this. They say that apparently it is a very highly rated prospect and is going to be the most highly rated prospect of the class when he supposedly announces his commitment on Wednesday. So, either way, listen, nobody really knows who it is right now. Again, everybody's just kind of spitballing, throwing shit against the wall and seeing if it sticks. Here's the point, though. Here, here's the key. Again, what Shane Beamer and company are doing on the recruiting trail, I, I mean, the momentum they have built when it comes to recruiting and when it comes to Gamecocks football as a whole and just completely flipping the mood and the mindset of this football program, of this football team, it's, it's incredible. I mean, it's, it's absolutely insane. You cannot say enough good things about what Shane Beamer has done in his short time as head football coach. So, really exciting stuff. We should find out another commitment on Wednesday. And, uh, yeah, we'll go from there. The momentum continues to roll on, folks, here on a Monday. Let's get – hey, let's get into your listener questions. We've got a ton of listener questions to get into. Like I said, I want to take your questions in regards to predictions, how you guys feel like the season's going to go. So let's go ahead and dive right into these. Gamecocks today, my guy, appreciate you leaving a question. He says, do you think the hashtag we want Delp hashtag will play into Delp's final decision? Has it helped us? Well – Here's the thing, Gamecocks, today, because I saw your Delp wanted sign in Columbia, by the way. Shout out to you. That thing's incredible. Is Oscar Delp going to pick South Carolina because we have created a hashtag? No, that's, that's not why. That's not the sole reason why he's going to come to the University of South Carolina. It's not. It's going to be different things like the coaching staff and his opportunities here to play and be a contributor and get to the league and, and all sorts of different stuff. However, with that being said, Players do want to go play where they are wanted, right? That's important. That's really, really important. And so is he going to pick the Gamecocks because of the We Want Delp hashtag, the We Want Delp campaign? No, I don't think that'll be the sole reason. But how can you say it does anything but help your calls, help your chances, right? To create, again, even more positive and show the kid, hey, we want you here. We want you to be a Gamecock. You are wanted, right? You're not just some other guy. We really, truly, sincerely want you in our program to be the next great Gamecocks tight end, next great Gamecocks playmaker here. So, bottom line, Gamecocks today, is it going to be the sole reason he picks us? No. But I think certainly it only helps your cause. No way it hurts it at all. Uh, he also says, Gamecock today says, opinion on the supposed new throwback helmets. As long as they do a full, like, throwback uniform with it, I'm cool with that. I don't just want to see that helmet just randomly roll out, man. I, I want us to pick something and stick with it. I'm cool with having some 
some some dope, you know, throwback alternates and this, that, whatever. But like, I've told you guys, man, I'm so much a less is more guy when it comes to jerseys and, and it comes to uniforms. And like, I'd like to see some consistency. I'd love to see us go back to white garnet, white, big game garnet. Hey, have the 84 throwbacks, have these 1969 throwbacks, but let's build some, let's build a brand. Let's build some consistency because this, this change in a uniforms each and every single week. I know the players love it, but I don't know, man. It, it just, I don't know. So either way, back to your question, the throwback helmets, you want to put it with a throwback uniform, make it a full throwback set and alternate. I'm totally fine with it. Um, Austin G who trots out game one in the secondary at the five spots, cornerback, safety, safety, cornerback, and nickel. Um, I think what you're going to get the corners, Cam Smith will be cornerback number one. Karan Prunty will be quarterback number two. At the two safeties, I think you're going to see Jalen Dickerson and R.J. Roderick. And at the nickel, I mean, there's a lot of guys that could play that. Would you see Marcellus Dial? Would you see Joey Hunter? Maybe you see R.J. Roderick play the nickel. You know, he did that last year. Maybe you slide, uh, you know, one of the other guys, Marcellus Dial, whoever I just mentioned, to the safety spot. So you've got a lot of bodies. And I think your starting five is not going to be that bad. It's the depth. That's more of the concern when it comes to the secondary. Uh, B Freeman 974 says eight and four for his prediction. Eight and four for B Freeman. Christopher Morton, which here's a really interesting fact about Christopher Morton, guys. This guy's a Clemson fan, right? Comments on our stuff all the time. Talks shit a lot, too. So I'm surprised he left a question or left a prediction. But Christopher Morton says six and six, maybe seven and five. That's coming from a Clemson fan. Christopher Morton, I am a little surprised and I like your prediction. So you're on my good side today. Uh, <laughs> Dylan Short, seven and five. One major upset. I believe we play Clemson very close within 10 points. Dylan, from your lips to God's ears, I would love to freaking see that. Uh, Gabichis, two five. Do you think we'll make a bowl game? Gabichis, you will have to tune in on Thursday because I will give the rest of my predictions and you will know at that point whether I think we make a bowl game or not. Jlong.8 says, no matter what, I think we'll be, we will be proud at the end of the season, regardless of the record. You know what? I like that prediction. I really do. I like that. Because I do agree with you. I do agree with you. I think we will be proud, no matter what happens. I think we will be proud. Um, let's see. Let's see here. Got a question from our text line. Didn't want to miss out on this one. He texts and he says, hey, man, my name's Luke. I saw your text number. You put on the Insta story. Big fan of the show. Got a question for you. Is Ordre Smith still looking healthy for this year? And if so, do you think he takes over Shai Smith's role as the go-to wide receiver? Well, Luke, I, I can tell you this. From what I've heard, I heard for Ortre Smith in the spring, it was one day he was on, looked great, and one day he looked gimpy, he looked off. So I have sold my Ortre Smith stock, to be totally honest with you. Until I see Ortre Smith healthy, and I know he's healthy, and I can depend on him to be healthy, how can you project anything for Ortre Smith? Is he going to be wide receiver one? I'll say no. Gun to head, if I had to predict it, I don't think he's going to be. I think it's going to be a Marion Brown, personally. Who knows, though? Ortre Smith, all the potential in the world. I don't know what to expect from him. Does, does he even play at all? Does, does he have more than 10 catches this year? I don't know. He's got to get healthy first. You got to prove you can stay healthy. Bottom line, part of being a really good athlete is being healthy. That's it. We got one comment from Facebook, guys, and then we'll get into our interview. Michael Miller simply says six and six for his prediction. Love it. Hey, get to a bowl game. That's success. 
in the first year of Shane Boone. Again, guys, I've got four and two at the halfway point. Will the Gamecocks make a bowl game this season? You guys will find out my predictions on Thursday as we drop part two of the game-by-game season predictions for the 2021 football season. Guys, this has been a ton of fun, but guess what? It's not over yet. Phil Steele, one of the best in the business at what he does, the magazine, guys. He's been doing this thing for like, what, 27, 28 years, I think he said. He joined me, friend of the show, great conversation, gave great insight on Shane Beamer, this 2021 season, offense, defense, special teams, everything you need to know about the Gamecocks. And we talked SEC football, the playoff, all that good stuff, guys. A fantastic conversation. Sit back, relax, enjoy, guys. It's all brought to you by our friends over at Manscaped. Guys, summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil your beach bob? Well, you're in luck. Our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth generation performance package, which includes the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The 4.0. Compliment your summer bob with a trim from the leaders in male grooming. The sun is shining and calling your name, fellas. Join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for a hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the promo code T-S-U-S-20. That is T-S-U-S-20. Guys, we've all been there, right? We're trying to trim up. We cut ourselves. We nick ourselves. We're bleeding. It burns. It's the absolute worst, guys. Leave that garbage in 2020. It's time to bundle up now with the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. In this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. Guys, first off, the new Performance Package 4.0 includes the new Lawnmower 4.0. This trimmer is insane, and dare I say, the GOAT of ball trimmers. Yeah, I said it. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor. That's a lot of RPMs in a tiny little package. 7,000 RPM motor. A new multifunction on and off switch. It can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when you are needed for a more precise shave. Guys, did I also mention the trimmer's waterproof as well? In the shower, in the wild, and from your chest pubes all the way down to your ball throw, the Lawnmower 4.0 is the best trimmer for you. Guys, want to take your grooming game even further to the next level? The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker to chop your worst weeds up top in your nose and ear. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Guys, seal the deal with Manscaped's liquid formulations. Before heading outside, use Crop Preserver Ball deodorant to keep you on your game in the heat. Then, guys, after trimming the lawn and whacking the weeds in the heat, give your beach balls a boost and use Crop Reviver. Guys, Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their performance package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and box to another level, guys. Get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code TSUS20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TSUS20 at manscaped.com. Guys, escape the shrubs and weeds this summer and shine with Manscaped. Guys, again, thank you all so much for tuning in. Have a great rest of your Monday and enjoy this conversation with Phil Steele. All right, joining us on the Spurs Up show, guys, very excited. As you all know, this time of year, 
It's magazine season, and who better to talk to than arguably the best magazine in the game? He is Phil Steele, releasing his 2021 preseason magazine, the 27th edition. A man who's been doing this thing for quite a while. He's a veteran in the game. Again, Phil Steele joins the show today to break it all down and talk some Gamecocks and SEC football. Phil, I appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on once again. Thanks so much for doing this. Hey, a real pleasure, Chris. Always enjoy chatting football with you. And uh, I tell you what, a uh, big difference this year f- from last year. And last year, we were all wondering if we're going to play football, if we're going to have a football season. I talked to first-year head coaches last year, and I would send them over my team pages, and they said, Phil, you probably know more about my team than I do because I haven't even seen these kids on the field yet. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just remarkable. This year, I talked to over 110 of the 130 head coaches out there, and each one had a spring practice. Each one knew their team inside and out. So I'm, I'm just pumped up for the season and, and having fans back in the stadiums as well no absolutely like you said man that, that perspective keeping that in mind like you said off air man win lose or draw just thank god we've got football we've got tailgating back we've got packed stadiums back and certainly much has changed since you and i last chatted uh last year i'll ask you this phil before we, we really dive into the gamecocks and everything else when you're doing your magazines again the 27th edition you know i feel like you know doing these team pages on basically every single team in college football the amount of information sheerly that you put in the magazine is is unlike anyone else i mean do you have like a strict regiment in the i i, I don't even want to say off season because there is no off season for you do you have a strict regiment though when you're going throughout your days you know of breaking down the teams of calling the coaches because again I feel like you have to. There, there's so much information you put in these magazines. How do you sort it all out? How do you keep it all organized and eventually, obviously, put the put the magazine together for a June or July release date? Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head. We, it's a seven-and-a-half-month process, but uh, each thing that I do is always timed. Uh, for example, I give myself three to four hours to do the first write-through of the team's uh, or sometimes five, because there's a lot of reading to do. Uh, we go through every article that was written about the team for the season, uh, get, get a synopsis of what the position looked like coming into the year, what actually happened, and now what are we looking at for the upcoming year? And then we get to the, the uh, pre-spring when we get the rosters and the freshmen added. Once again, I give myself about three hours to go through all the stuff that's happened prior to the spring, rewrite through each of the positions, update all the power ratings. Then chat, chatting with the coaches, uh, I could take about an hour, hour and a half with each coach uh, and then have to update all the power ratings. But everything I do uh, is generally either on 20-minute increments or three-hour increments, and you have to get 130 of them done. So it's uh, – it's, and it's a, it's a nonstop deadline for seven and a half months. For sure. And obviously, again, you do a great job with it. The magazine, fantastic work yet again this year. Let's move in the Gamecock side of things, Phil. And like you said, much has changed since you and I chatted last year. It's almost a year ago to the date. But, of course, Will Muschamp was the head coach of South Carolina at that point. And, of course, after you and I chatted, you know, the 10-game conference schedule came out. But really, we were amidst the pandemic and the ramifications of that and the economic ramifications. And Phil, I want to ask you about, because it felt like one of the lead storylines going into last season was for a lot of coaches, not just Will Muschamp was, oh, you know, it's a pandemic driven year. There's no way they'll fire the coach. You know, this is going to be a gimme, a mulligan for everybody. It's not going to count. It doesn't matter. And of course we saw, especially in the SEC, that was not the case. Will Muschamp, Jeremy Pruitt, Derek Mason, Gus Malzahn. I felt like there were more coaches fired last year. It felt like than any other year. 
Were you surprised at the amount of coaches that were let go a season ago after the 2020 season amidst all the pandemic madness? And South Carolina's firing of Will Muschamp, when it happened, how it happened, what did you make of that? Were you surprised the Gamecocks pulled the trigger when they did? Yeah, I was very surprised. If you would have given me a, an over-under of, Phil, how many coaching changes were there be this season with the pandemic going on, I would have put probably right around five at tops, just mm-hmm. figuring everybody would get the mulligan and everybody would say, hey, you know, there was unbelievable circumstances this past year. How do you combat that? Let's just do that. So, yes, very surprised at the amount of coaching changes, not only in the SEC, but around the entire country. Uh, and I was surprised when Muschamp was let go when he was early in the season. You know, they had opened up two and two. They had a nice win over Auburn, mm-hmm. had a couple of uh, bad losses there. And, uh, the, you know, I was I was a little surprised that they let him go. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, they did let him go. And obviously the coaching search raged on and South Carolina lands on Shane Beamer, who I don't think was the lead candidate when things started going. You know, we heard the usual suspects of the Hugh Freezes and the Billy Napiers and the Jamie Chadwells and sort of the hot commodities. But the Gamecocks land on Shane Beamer, who has never been a head coach before, obviously before now, never even been a coordinator, but had worked at South Carolina before, worked under the likes of Kirby Smart and Lincoln Riley. Your thoughts on the overall coaching search that South Carolina underwent and the hiring of Shane Beamer, your thoughts then and now of that hiring for South Carolina? Yeah, uh, you know, the coaching things are always uh, interesting when they're uh, looking at all the different candidates, but uh, I like the hire of Shane Beamer, Uh, even though he has no coordinator experience and generally that's always something I, I have a little uh, red herring about when it, somebody comes in and hasn't even been a coordinator. But going over the team with Coach Beamer, uh, I've, I've got confidence he's going to do a good job there, a good job recruiting. And, you know, the one thing about it, our conversation that we had uh, going over South Carolina, he actually likes the talent he inherited. A lot of times you get some first-year head coaches coming in and they'll say, oh, I, I can't believe this position or this position. And why are we so bad here? And uh, and Shane Beamer actually likes the, the uh, talent he inherited. So I think South Carolina made a good hire, and I think it's a, a pretty good fit. For sure. Now, let's talk offense first, uh, Phil, because, again, I, I want to talk about these assistants. And, of course, we talk about Shane Beamer's lack of experience, never been a head coach, never been a coordinator. Well, South Carolina's got two coordinators in both offense and defense, and, and Marcus Satterfield offensively and Clayton White defensively. Neither coach has ever called a play at the Power 5 level. Again, just take that for what it's worth. But – Marcus Satterfield, this offense, I feel like the question that Gamecock fans all have is what is this offense going to look like? And I'm curious if maybe from your conversations, if Shane Beamer sort of shed some light on that, because I think they're going to play to the talent and the personnel they have on the roster. And I think the the offense is going to look different, let's say, five years from now versus how it's going to look currently. But I'm curious on your takes on the hiring of Satterfield. Again, I don't know if you know much about him. I know he wasn't exactly like a hot name when the Gamecocks scooped him up. But from your conversations with Shane Beamer, did he give any indication to you of what they want to do offensively, what they would like the offense to look like in year one of his tenure? Well, I, I think uh... – you know, we didn't get too much into the specifics of the offense, but when you've got a running back uh, room like they have, they have my number 15 rated running backs in the country led by Kevin Harris, 
Marshawn Lloyd and Saquandre Wright. You want to lean on your strengths, especially when you have a somewhat inexperienced quarterback. So you would think the ideal goal coming into the season would be establish the run game, take a little bit of the pressure off the quarterback. And uh, I think every coordinator wants to have a balanced attack, be able to run and pass when they want and take what the defense gives them. Now, I, I want to ask you this, Phil, because Gamecock fans, I feel like, would get on me if I didn't. And I feel like South Carolina fans, Phil, we are a fan base. We take everything personally. We, we, For better or for worse, we feel like people are out to get us for whatever reason. There were some folks on social media that saw your running back rankings for the SEC, running back room rankings, and saw you rank the Gamecocks fifth. And they had an issue with that. People feel like Kevin Harris isn't quite getting the love and respect he deserves. Talk about the running back room as a whole, because again, as you mentioned, it is a strength. There's no denying that you have Kevin Harris back, who's the leading returning rusher in the conference. Marshawn Lloyd, who was a five-star prospect. And I think if he's 100% healthy, Phil, I think he's actually probably a better running back than Kevin Harris. Zaquandre White, what he did in the spring game, Rashad Amos, I think is a guy nobody's talking about that's a really, really good player. Caleb McDowell, even as a true freshman. So that room is loaded with guys. But talk about that room and why you ranked him fifth in the SEC. I'm really curious to hear your breakdown of uh, of the running backs as a whole in the conference, if you will. Yeah, probably because they play in the SEC. As I mentioned, I've gotten the 15th <laughs> best running back core in the entire country. But there are good running backs in the SEC. And believe it or not, there are other five-star running backs in the SEC. Mm. Can you believe that? <laughs> Hard to believe, right? <laughs> yeah, when you take a look, uh, the number one rated uh, running back room I've got is Texas A&M. They've got Isaiah Spiller coming back. And while Kevin Harris had more yards than Isaiah Spiller did last year, I think Spiller's got a little more upside. They've got Devon Ar- Chain behind them. They've got Aeneas Smith. And then you look at the true freshman, you only want to talk about five stars. They've got J.J. Johnson coming in, who's my number six rated running back out of high school. Uh, they actually have... Uh, four VHT running backs, but I love the Spiller a chain combination. Uh, both are accomplished and uh, they both breakaway threats. Uh, then my number two set of running backs uh, in the conference is Georgia. And when you look at Georgia, they don't have, uh, well, South Carolina's basically got two, what I call VHT running backs and Kevin Harris. Harris was not a VHT coming out of high school. Georgia, on the other hand, has six VHT running backs. Samir Wright was the number one running back coming out of high school. James Cook was number five. Kendall Milton, number three. Kenny McIntosh, number seven. Dewan Edwards, uh, it was PS34. So they are loaded at the running back spot. White had 770 yards last year. And, and with the offensive line they have, Georgia's going to get the uh, running back production. Uh, up there in the running backs at number three is, believe it or not, Alabama. And I think Alabama is going to produce some good running backs. Brian Robinson, maybe one of the best running backs in the country, just hasn't had his chance. He's been playing behind NFL guys at running back. It's his turn to take that. Jace McClellan, Trey Sanders, their PS number six, PS one number one, Roydell Williams, once again, loaded with VHDs. They have uh, five VHD running backs at Alabama. And then uh, the number four was Auburn. And if you've watched – uh, Auburn's running back run at all. Uh, you have to be excited about Tank Bigsby, but they also have Sean Shivers behind him. And then they add in a couple of VHT True Frosh and Jaquez Hunter and Jordan Ingram. So there are good running backs in the SEC. South Carolina has a very good running back core. I have it number 15 in the country. For sure. Now, Phil, we talked about this last year, and I want to highlight it yet again before we get off offense, move to defense. I feel like you enjoy talking offensive line, as do I, the unsung heroes of the offense. And I think that's one of the reasons, Phil, that, you know, me personally projecting this offense this season, I think you're going to see a Gamecocks attack that is probably 70-30 running the football. You mentioned earlier a, a really young 
uh, inexperienced quarterback in Luke Doty and a weaker wide receiver core that's going to have to find a way to help him and find some weapons. So I think running the football is going to be the bread and butter for the South Carolina offense. And how could it not be when you highlighted this, Phil? Four starters back, nine with starting experience, 84 career starts for South Carolina. Really good running the football last year. What killed them was pass protection and the sacks given up. And I think those numbers, Phil, were a little bit skewed just because, you know, you had Colin Hill back there and God rest his soul, love the kid. But when you have a guy back there that lacks mobility and the defense knows that and you get behind the chains as South Carolina did so often early downs, you're really setting yourself up for failure and you're putting your offensive line in a nearly impossible spot. But talk about that Gamecocks offensive line, what you like about them. Again, like I said, you highlighted it, 84 career starts. Normally, when you're returning that type of experience and that type of depth in the SEC on the offensive line, that typically bodes well for you in regards to winning football games and establishing the ground game especially. Yeah, and I agree. And, uh, you know, looking at the the pieces that South Carolina has to work with up front, uh, I think that we can anticipate much improved production. In fact, last year, they led the SEC in TFLs allowed, uh, yet I still rank them a top 25 offensive line this year based on the experience. You look at, a, at Eric Douglas up front, uh, a very solid center. Uh, Javon Gwynn is a guy who uh, is, may have NFL potential at that guard spot. And then both tackles, I feel, have NFL potential in Dylan Wanham and uh, Justin Turrentine. So I think you're looking at a solid set of offensive linemen that should uh, go well with the system. And I do think they're going to power a very strong run game. For sure. Now, Phil, I want to talk about that defense really quickly. Um, obviously, Clayton White, the four-two-five. Fans are really excited about the return of that because I really do feel like it lets your guys be athletes on that side. And South kind of certainly has that. And one guy – I think is going to have an even better year than he had a season ago. And someone you mentioned, I believe, in your your preseason All-SEC teams is J.J. Enigbare, the pass rusher off the edge. Talk about his game, what you liked about him. Obviously, you ranked him pretty highly in regards to your preseason All-Conference teams. But what you like about his game and what do you think he can do for the South kind of pass rush? Well, you know, Coach Beamer pointed out to me that he turned down the NFL and uh, mm-hmm. he's going to be a high draft pick after this season is over. He got stronger to hold the point this year. Last year, there were a couple of times where he struggled to hold the point, but he's going to be better at that this year. And then you touched on it. The guy's a a premier pass rusher. Uh, Last year, six sacks. And I think he just was skidding to the tip of the iceberg. Keep in mind that was in just 10 games. So I think we're going to see him step up as a pass rusher this year, especially in the the new 4-2-5 defense uh, where the ends have a little bit more flexibility to get to the quarterback. For sure, Phil. I want to backtrack just a second because I bring up your preseason All-SEC team, and I do want to highlight the guys that you mentioned from South Carolina because you had five Gamecocks uh, on that team. Defensive lineman J.J. Nibari, who was first team, who we just talked about, running back Kevin Harris, who was second team, tight end Nick Muse, which if we want to highlight him, I think we should because I don't know how. I just glossed over the tight ends, who I think will be a huge part of the South Carolina offense. He was second team for you. Defensive lineman Zach Pickens, third team, and then offensive lineman Jovan Gwynn, team if you want to run through those really quickly just what you like about each of those individual guys obviously again all five of those making your preseason all sec team going in the 2021 year well kevin harris really impressed me last year i mean it's not often when you have a, a team that goes two and eight and the running back gets over a thousand yards and 
averages uh, over six yards a carry like Harris did last year. So a super impressive back uh, and definitely deserves to be right up there with Nick Muse. I'm on the John Mackey award list. And, you know, sometimes the schools will say, Hey, we got this tight end. He had 800 yards of receiving, but he's 220 pounds and he's lined up <laughs> as a wide receiver all the time. That's not a true tight end. So they don't really qualify for the John Mackey award. Well, Nick Muse is a guy that qualifies for the John Mackey award. He's six, four, he's two forty nine. Uh, he was productive last year. He's tough though. He's consistent and uh, he's very good blocker. So if you got a, a, a guy that can block attach to the line of scrimmage and get out there and catch the passes, he was a second leading receiver last year. That's the reason he's up there uh, on the sec team. I mentioned Gwyn before, you know, Gwyn's a guy uh, inside that's got good technique, good fundamentals. Uh, and I think he's uh, steady, solid, and he's looking for a breakout year this year as a sophomore. And I think uh, offensive linemen, generally, you have to take a look sometimes at, I think, in the postseason awards, the record of the team has something to do with how many offensive linemen get chosen to the uh, all-SEC team at <laughs> right. the end of the year. But Gwynn's good enough, I think, to, to be a, a primetime candidate this year. For sure. Now, Phil, back to the defense. You know, we talked about J.J. Nibari, and I think everybody believes the strength of South Carolina's defense and maybe the best position unit on this football team overall is going to be that defensive line. Now, I think one of the most intriguing things for me personally, Phil, about this defense is we talk about the secondary. And, of course, it's a retooled secondary. You lose guys like J.C. Horn, Isra McQuamu, you know, John Dixon to the transfer portal, Jamie Robinson to the transfer portal. Heck, you lose, you lose Keir Thomas up front. You lose Ernest Jones in the, in the middle at linebacker, the heart and soul of your defense. I think that's a really underrated loss for South Carolina. But what's really interesting is, and I'm sure you'd agree, it was shocking at how bad South Carolina was defensively with all those guys I mentioned a season ago. Now with a retooled secondary, a brand-new system, brand-new scheme, Clayton White taking over, and brand-new coaches with every position unit, how do you project this defense? Because on one hand, Phil, I look at it and say, man, they lost so much in the back half of their defense. It's going to be really tough for South Carolina. They're going to have to gamble. Are they going to send five or six and pray they can get there with pressure and help out their, their young and experienced defensive backs? Or are they going to sit back and trust they can get there with three or four? On one hand, I want to say, man, South Carolina is going to struggle this year defensively and probably going to be worse. On the other hand, Phil, I don't know how South Carolina could be any worse. I mean, we're talking about a defense that gave up 36 or so points per game a season ago and looked miserable at times doing so. I mean, how do you project this South Carolina defense overall? Do you think they'll be an improved unit? I mean, what do you like, dislike about this unit overall? Yeah, last year they gave up 452 yards per game. Uh, I think this year my computer's calling for them to give up around 400 yards per game. And keep in mind, this is not um, – football 10 years ago, where mm, if you right. give up over 325 yards per game, then you're a little weak on the defense. Nowadays, Alabama gives up 350 yards per game. So really 400 yards per game is not bad. Uh, it's mm. sort of about what they gave up in 2019. And uh, so I do see improvement on the defense and it starts up front. Uh, when I talked to coach Beamer, he said the defense line is the strength of the team. And they are, you look up, you know, not only and, and Gabari, they've got Pickens and Sandage and Birch. And even watch uh, Hemingway at defensive tackle. He's a guy that could emerge there as well. And if you put pressure on the quarterback, you lessen the pressure on the secondary because the, the, the quarterback has less time to find an open receiver. And the secondary's got players. Cam Smith is back at the cornerback. 
I think he's a guy that uh, has good size uh, and good shutdown ability. Plus, they add from Kansas, uh, Karan Prunty, who is a uh, FWAA uh, freshman All-American. He had nine starts, 10 PBU last year. R.J. Roderick at the safety spot. So I think the pieces are there in the secondary. If they can create a better pass rush, which they should, then I think clearly they'll be better. And, and you hit it right on the head. You can only improve after giving up 452 <laughs> yards per game and 36 points per game like they did last year. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with you. Now, I want to move overall, Phil, to your, you know, we talk about this thing as a whole. Actually, let's talk special teams first because I feel like I almost did it just now. Special teams is not the sexiest thing in the world to talk about, right? The kicking game, the punting game. But Beamer Ball is a real thing. I don't know if you can see my hat, but Beamer Ball is taking over in Columbia, South Carolina. And obviously, of course, Shane Beamer being the son of Frank Beamer. And we all know Beamer Ball, was that phrase was coined at Virginia Tech. And we don't talk about special teams. It's almost like the offensive line. You don't talk about it unless it makes a play or becomes a deficiency for you or it wins or loses you a ball game. And that happened a lot in Blacksburg with his dad. Did Shane Beamer give you any indications? I know they hired Pete Limbo for special teams coordinator, who's one of the best in the country. And, of course, Shane Beamer, you'd think his reputation is going to speak for itself. And, of course, that's what he coached when he was at South Carolina from 2007 to 2010. What do you expect from a Shane Beamer coach special teams for the Gamecocks this year? Because, again, even amongst the fan base, I feel like that's something that's not being talked about nearly enough. And South Carolina fans should know, you know, back when they had Debo Samuel in the return game, special teams, especially for a team, I think, like South Carolina, who is lacking in some other areas, special teams could be the difference in winning and losing ball games this year, getting to a bowl game, not getting to a bowl game. Did Shane Beamer any, indicate anything to you about special teams? And I guess what do you expect from South Carolina in that facet of the game this season? Well, I think the main thing he indicated, if I was become, if I was to become a head coach tomorrow, the first thing I would do would be pick up the phone and call Pete Lembo and say, I want you to be my special teams coach because he is clearly one of the best in the entire country. It doesn't matter where he goes. They're going to finish in the top 10 at the end of the year. Uh, so I think he, he showed this, the, uh, the importance of the special teams by bringing in Lembo to uh, run the special teams because he is amazing. Now, the pieces they've got to work with, you look at punter uh, Kai Kroger, he's got had a pretty good net last year, 38.4. He needs to get a little bit stronger, but he is talented. And with Lembo and with Beamer, you got to think that net punting will improve upon that. Parker White had, a, had an off year last year, just hit 11 to 19 field goals. Uh, but he's been around, and we know from kickers that kickers can, uh, you know, fluctuate greatly. The previous year, uh, White hit 18 to 22 field goals, did a good job. And the return game was below average last year. I think the return game will definitely improve with the combination of Beamer and Lembo. So th just those two coaches alone uh, show you that the special teams are going to be better. I only ranked them about number 60 in the uh, magazine because last year they were number 109. So it's tough yeah. to make a jump from 109 all the way up to number 10 or 11, but it wouldn't right. surprise me if at the end of the year this is a top 20 special teams unit. Absolutely. Now, Phil, I want to read a quick ex excerpt when we talk about the overall outlook of South Carolina football in 2021. You had this to say. You said Shane Beamer has no head coaching experience, and his OC and DC do not have any Power 5 coordinator experience, neither does Beamer. They have 14 returning starters, and the cutboard was not left bare. This team was gutted by injuries and defections at the end of the year, but have lost only nine players to the portal, most of those before Beamer took over. The Gamecocks do draw both A&M and Auburn out of the West. And naturally, Clemson in the non-conference. South Carolina figures to be a dog in eight games this year, but they will improve on last year's two wins total and are a stronger team 
than most folks expect. Now, Phil, I want to ask you this. Realistic expectations in year one of Shane Beamer. I say getting to a bowl game, very similar to Will Muschamp's first year, by the way. Getting to a bowl game would be a huge success for this football team and show that positive trajectory and progress for the football program. That's where most fans point. I think the expectations are realistic. You seem to feel pretty good and pretty high on Shane Beamer, what he's building early on in Columbia. You're just overall thoughts on this Gamecocks football team heading in this season and realistic first year expectations of how you think South Carolina could finish. Yeah, I think they're going to have an improved record. Uh, I didn't project a bowl because uh, I would have put them on my most improved list if I was calling for six wins in a bowl game. I think that it's a very tough schedule that they play this year. Uh, and the fact they have a first-year head coach, you know, new coordinators on both sides of the ball, and they draw Texas A&M and Auburn out of the East or out of the West and have Clemson in the non-conference. However, if they do make it to a bowl game, which is possible, uh, I think that would be an accomplishment, a, a definite accomplishment for South Carolina. They're going to definitely improve upon last year's two-win total. I think some key games are early on. That game against East Carolina is going to be tricky. East Carolina has got a much improved defense this year. I like the job Mike Houston's doing. They've got a lot of weapons on offense. I write that game a toss-up. If South Carolina could steal that one, they open up the year 2-0. and The Kentucky game is huge. And then all of a sudden, you've got Troy they'll be favored against, Vanderbilt favored against. If they can steal East Carolina and Georgia, they're going to be 5-2 and two at midseason. And I tell you what, you go 5-2 and two at midseason, you're playing with a lot more confidence than a team that had a losing record. You're buying into the head coaching staff. And all of a sudden, those games you're going to be an underdog in at AM, Florida, at Missouri, Auburn, and Clemson down the stretch. Odds are they'll probably steal one of those and get to a bowl game. But they're going to have to get that East Carolina and Kentucky games early. Yeah, Phil, I actually agree with you. You know, I went back and forth between ECU and Kentucky on my, you know, we were doing preseason predictions and talking about key games, most important game. I actually look at that East Carolina game. I agree with you 110%. I think that's one early on tricky game at Dowdy Ficklin, 20 of 22 starters back, which I got that stat from your magazine, by the way, but 20 of 22 starters back for ECU, and they're a team with a lot of talent, going to test South Carolina really early, especially defensively. I agree with you. I think that one is absolutely huge and one that I hope Gamecock fans are not overlooking uh, for sure. Before we get into your SEC East and West and SEC champion, all that good stuff, Phil, I know you're a gambling guy, right? You talk gambling a lot. I'm curious to get your take on this because out of Vegas, the over-under win total for South Carolina is three and a half. And, and listen, I, I, yeah, I, at most books, you see three and a half. And most of the time, I can understand where they're coming from, even if the Garnet Glasses or Optimistic fans says, no way, we're going to hit the over, we're going to get the over. I can see, you know, because obviously, as you know, in gambling, you're trying to get even money on both sides. I don't understand how anyone could bet the under on that number. I, like, I, I just genuinely don't. What that tells me is, Phil, does Vegas expect South Carolina to lose to either an East Carolina or a Troy? Because in my opinion, that's the only way they even have a chance of going three and nine or worse. What do you make of that over-under total? I mean, is that free money? Should Gamecock fans take out a second mortgage and go, go put their money on the over? What do you make of that? Well, the key is going to be those, that East Carolina and Kentucky, because uh, South Carolina is going to beat Eastern Illinois. Uh, they, they should right. beat Troy. I've got them a seven-point favorite against Troy, and I've got them a 14-point favorite against Vanderbilt, probably a 21, 24-point favorite against Eastern Illinois, if not higher. I haven't even uh, looked at that game. I just automatically glance over the uh, FCS games. Mm -hmm. So that right there is your three wins. As I talked to you, I had two games rated as toss-ups. 
East Carolina and Kentucky. And if they can just steal one of those, yeah, it's easy money right there. So if you've got the faith that they get past East Carolina on the road or Kentucky at home, that's the key because that those final five games, they will be an underdog in when they play A&M, mm. Florida, Missouri, Auburn, and Clemson with Missouri being on the road this year. But uh, if I, I, I would use South Carolina uh, over three and a half clearly as one of my better plays in the preseason. Yeah, I th- I've got to think that number moves just a little bit before yeah. we get to kick off on September the 4th. Now, let, let's dive into your East and West breakdown, Phil. We'll first, of course, talk about the SEC East and how you pick these teams. You've got Georgia, of course, winning the SEC East, and I would agree with you. I think it's Georgia, and then I think there's a huge gap. You've got Florida finishing second, Kentucky at third, Missouri at fourth, South Carolina at fifth, Tennessee at sixth, and Vanderbilt at seventh just talk about really quickly briefly your sec east breakdown again the gamecocks finishing fifth overall but your overall outlook at the sec east well my overall outlook at the sec east is georgia (laughs) i think georgia (laughs) wins the east and then everybody else is probably a couple games behind them and it's for two reasons georgia's got the defense again this year they have my number three rated defense in the country jt daniels took over a quarterback finally for the final four games last year. They put up 37 points per game. They got my number two set of running backs in the country, number seven rated offensive line. So you got the offense and the defense, you know, number seven offensive line, number two defensive line in the country. And then the schedule. Uh, they only have three true SEC road games this year, and all three are against first-year head coaches, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, and Auburn. That means everybody else has to go between the hedges, <laughs> or Florida is, of course, a neutral site. Florida, on the other hand, only has five starters back on offense, five on defense, and they're the opposite. They only get three home games in the swamp this year, and they, while Georgia avoids Alabama, Texas A&M, and LSU out of the West – Florida draws both Alabama and LSU and has to play LSU in Death Valley. How do you even think those two teams are going to be close? I think it's at least a two-game margin for Georgia between them and everybody else in the East. In fact, I've got Georgia a three-point dog in the opener against Clemson, and I have them favored in all their other games this year. So I think they walk away with the East. Uh, Florida uh, looks like they might be going through a rebuilding year with only 10 starters back, especially keep this in mind. Talking to the coaches like I did this year, uh, about 110 of the 130 head coaches out there, uh, almost all of them have 16, 17, 18 returning starters coming back. So when you only have 10 back, that's among the least experienced in the country and the rough schedule. And then it's it's pretty much uh, up for grabs as to who's going to get third, fourth, or fifth there. I, I think there's a, a good talent in the East. I do pick Vanderbilt for seventh. I think Clark Lee stepping into a rebuilding situation. For sure. Now, the West, Phil, I think it's no secret, of course, the no-brainer pick, Alabama. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Until somebody dethrones the Crimson Tide, there's no reason to go any other direction. So you've got Alabama winning the SEC West. Texas A&M at two, which I think is certainly going to be the sexy pick, if you will, the dark horse to dethrone Nick Saban. Uh, But you've got them second, LSU third, Ole Miss fourth, Auburn fifth, Mississippi State sixth, and Arkansas seventh. I'll ask you about the SEC West. And again, when you break down the West, is it as simple as Alabama and then just everybody else, like you mentioned the East was with Georgia? Uh, actually, that's a little bit of a surprise. I, I think A&M's got a shot. And, uh, you know, you take a look at Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher's got four great recruiting classes. 
Uh, I think Haynes King is going to step in at quarterback and do just as good as Kellamon did last year. Talking to Coach Jimbo Fisher and going over the offense with them, you know, they were a Joe Moore finalist last year, and they're losing four starters. And I mentioned my concern to that to Coach Fisher, and he said, Phil, we may be more athletic, more physical, and better up front on the offensive line than we were last year. So that sort of compensates for losing four starters. They they get five games to get the offensive line gelling and then they host Alabama. And if you watch last year's Alabama Texas A&M game in the first half, it's like three or four plays and A&M, I thought played them dead even, except this play went there. It was like four plays that went against them. And all of a sudden they were down uh, by uh, three scores at the half and, and ended up losing by 28. I think they can give Alabama game. It's in college station. It's week six. And if anybody's going to knock off Alabama in the West, it's A&M. And then LSU would be the next team to make a jump this year. They go from mm-hmm. barely getting to five and five last year. They need the shoe toss against Florida and the uh, comeback against Ole Miss. But uh, I think they'll be closer to a double-digit win team this season. But A&M is a clear threat to, to knock off Bama this year. For sure. And, Phil, you're SEC champion, and do you have an early college football playoff champion pick? Yeah, I went way out on a limb here, uh, Chris. <laughs> I, I took uh, Alabama to win the SEC, and uh, my Final Four is Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State and Oklahoma. How's that for being a risk taker? <laughs> hey, it's it's probably accurate though. Hey, hey, you got to pick what you feel. So, um, I, I'll ask you before we before we close out here, Phil. The proposed twelve team playoff. Since we are talking about the playoff, your overall thoughts on that? I mean, I I, I feel like college football fans. One of the big reasons we want that to happen is to fix the the Alabama Clemson problem. But Phil, I don't know that that really solves anything. If, if that's what the goal is, I think the cream is still going to rise to the top and the best two teams are going to left standing. Even as a Gamecock fan, as much as it pains me to say, you know, normally that's probably going to be Alabama and Clemson with the way they've recruited and what those two head coaches have built. But your overall thoughts on the 12-team playoff, do you think it's a good thing or bad thing for college football? Well, I've always been a four-team playoff advocate. I wrote about it in the magazine for 10 years. It finally came to fruition. And I've been writing avoid bracket creep. Uh, I think what the 12 team does, it probably lessens the regular season matchups. It lessens even the championship games. Let's say Alabama's playing Georgia in the SEC championship game. Right. In a four-team playoff, winners in, losers out. Right. In a 12-team playoff, guess what? Winners in, losers in. So doesn't really matter who wins that game. They're both going to be in the playoff at the at the end of the run. But it's it's inevitable. It's coming. So you know what? We'll, we'll see how it comes out, and, and we'll get more teams in a playoff. But I, I think you might have hit it right on the head, Chris. We may end up with the same Final Four every year anyway. Yeah, I, I think that's what Gamecock fans certainly fear. Phil, Phil, this has been fantastic. I appreciate you taking the time. Last thing before I let you go. When you look at this South Carolina football team this year, and like you said, they're kind of on the fringe of that five, six win getting to a bowl game. If the Gamecocks are going to go bowling in this 2021 season and Shane Beamer's first year, in your opinion, it will be because what worked for South Carolina? Uh, I think the big thing that would have to happen is, is their young quarterbacks going to have to develop to go along with that passing game. Uh, I feel the defense will be improved. Luke Doty is a guy who uh, should be able to step in and do a good job. How's he going to do in the big games? And, and once again, to me, South Carolina season hinges on East Carolina and Kentucky. Got to win those two games early on. If they do, then steal one upset at the end of the year and get to a bowl game. That's going to be the key. Phil, it's been a pleasure, man. I appreciate it. Again, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and PhilSteel.com, correct, is where you can find this year's magazine? 
Those are the places. 352 pages, like getting 130 different media guides rolled into one, but exclusively <laughs> Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. So don't waste your gas driving around the other places. And uh, Chris, I always have a lot of fun on this show with you. Thanks for having me on today. Phil, I appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. He's Phil Steele. I'm Chris Fultz. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on the episode of the Spurs Up Show. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.